I'm talking about it, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Nick Flanagan Weekly, and I'm the host, so I'm pure allowed to talk about it, guys. Welcome to the Nick Flanagan Weekly podcast. I'm so excited. This is the first interview I've posted since Lucas Costello, which feels like months ago and was months ago. I've been so slow with the interviews. Um, I don't know. I, what can I say? I'm, I haven't been great at editing them myself. And in fact, this one is the same situation. My friend edited, edited it for me. And I don't know if they want their name shared. So I'm just going to say my friend edited it for me. Edited it. But the guest is Kelly Stoltz, the wonderful musician. Friend of mine, great guy. Uh, he he's toured in some interesting different bands. He's played all around Europe, America, Canada. Put out an album with Sub Pop. It's he's a great songwriter and he can really play a lot of different types of music. It's really cool. He has a great influence and a great ear. Great influence. He does have a great set of influences, and. Uh, he writes great songs, and, and like I said, he's got a great ear. He, 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 he can mix and make his own albums, and they're always great. And he has a new album. Well, it was new when I interviewed him. I'll be honest, this is months old, called Ah! Exclamation mark, etc. And you can find that at kellystoltzagitated.bandcamp.com, and it's also streaming. But this should be out in time for Bandcamp Friday, which is this Friday, and you can... Pick it up there and it will get 100% of the profits. If you listen to it on Spotify, the profits go to Spotify. Do they need more Spotify money? No. Does Kelly need Bandcamp money? Yes. Do I? Yes. So also you can go to wrongholemusic.bandcamp or nickflanagan.bandcamp. But most importantly, kellystoltzagitated.bandcamp.com. You'll love it. Although we don't even really get to the later part of Kelly's career because we get just into what got into him, into music and, you know, his first few years. And uh, there's so much else to talk about. He he was touring with Echo and the Bunnymen, playing with them, um, lots of other stuff. So I have a feeling I'll have Kelly back because we're buddies and I like to have return guests. It just is there's so much to say. And also... Tangents. I go on tangents. So I'm going to just bring us into the episode. Here is my chat with Kelly Stoltz. So tell me the story of Kelly Saltz. A small boy (laughs) born and raised in New York City, uh, emigrated uh, to uh, Illinois, Texas, ultimately settling in Michigan, living out his first 20 odd years, returning to New York City for a failed attempt at, I don't know, whatever you do in New York, like a failed attempt at paying rent and just surviving. So then moved back to Michigan, stayed in grandma's basement, um, decided it was really cold, and then moved to California in like 20, no, 1996, end of 95, 96, and have been here ever since. And then that's all uh, PA, 
that's all life PA. And then we have life AB. We have pre-Allison and then Allison Baker life, which began 2012 or 13. Yes, you're, you are partnered, as they say, with uh, Allison Baker, my friend. Uh, two-time appearance uh, on, on this podcast. Uh, two-time, two-time Grammy Award winner. Yeah, we wrote a three song. Time, no, three three time um, Canadian artist of the year was artist it? of the year. Yeah, for the Canadians. And yeah, which is that's the, the major Canadian, award. That's the K award. Canadian yeah, the, artist the, year. The Cannies. Cowie. Yeah, the <laughs> Can Can Cowie. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you would probably vote her Canadian artist of the year every year. Since I've known her, there was. She won every year, 2012, 2013, 2014. I think I gave it to, I gave it to uh, Wayne Gretzky just for the good work he was doing with the LA homeless community, him and his wife. And uh, <laughs> so then I, then I went back to Allison after that. Yeah. That's probably the big question you have every year. Allison Gretzky. Allison, Allison or Gretzky. Gretzky. Allison Gretzky. If only I knew a girl named Allison Gretzky. <laughs> There's good. We should look her up. There is. I one mean, somewhere. he has a daughter, and she right. posts weird bikini pictures. So get out of here, know, really. Watch out, Allison. Okay. And I bet you she's anti-mask. I bet you oh. like two hundred dollars. She's right. anti-mask. Right. It could um, be. Uh, except, but, yeah. uh, except hockey mask. No, she's totally pro hockey mask. I mean, she wanted Fewer's face to be protected. She knows how important Fewer's face is to Wayne. Who are we satisfying with this conversation about hockey um, People are interested in a brief synopsis of my life and hockey fans. Oh, no, no, no. The, the brief synopsis of your life was amazing. I was quite yeah. impressed. I'm not going to lie. I tried to keep it to just geographical details with like, little else. Well, what you did was you clearly took something that is something people want to, might ask in an interview. And you, you gave me, I think, a version of it that has probably never been given before, which no. is a, a quick state-by-state state analysis. State-by-state state analysis. <laughs> and you'll notice I didn't interrupt you, which probably French journalists are unable to do. When they interview you, they always butt in. Okay, so New York City, you moved there. You're born there, sort of. Born there, born, man, born. But, so you moved there. What, 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 what went down? How did that, how did that heartbreak? You know, I, 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 moved there, I moved there at like 21 or two. Uh, and my best friend had gone to theater school there. So I kind of ended up hanging out with him getting an apartment. I wanted to leave Michigan at that point and try something else. And, you know, so uh, I lived there for just under two years. You know, it was like, I, my, I think I ended up weighing about 135 pounds. I lived on black beans and pineapple, like the David Bowie diet. It was like black beans and pineapple juice and, and cigarettes. And thankfully had, you know, grown up in a wealthy area code. So I was offered a visa with like $12,000, you know, with no real means to pay it back. So I was living, you know, when you start putting your rent on your visa, you're in big trouble, which is kind of what I was doing at the end. But um, I worked a couple of mostly the temp job circuit. I mean, the, yeah, you know, everyone talks about the, temp jobs. Right? Yeah, it was a thing. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's still out there, but definitely 90s early nineties. What am I going to do with my life? You're going to go to a temp job and they're going to send you out as like an assistant to a secretary at an advertising firm on, you know, park Avenue. Then you're going to go down and work, you know, counting stuff at some weird factory. And then two, and then you got three days over at uh, MSNBC and then, you know, Oh, did you work at MSNBC as a temp? Uh, I was with some kind of a, I was in some kind of a thing. It might, it was a Broadway video. There was some kind of a TV related thing. 30 rock type of situation. Something like that. That was cool. I had a job on the 103rd floor of the world trade center, uh, which, you know, was that was, the one uh, that made it glad it wasn't a long-term commitment. Um, but I was there in 95 or whatever that was 94, 93. So, um, yeah, all those kind of things. And somewhere along the way, I ended up working for Jeff Buckley as kind of a, the singer, as a kind of a 
working for his management company, which was this guy, Dave Laurie, who managed him and maybe Greg Allman or I don't know, some other artists. And uh, so I worked in a little office. It was him and another guy, Jack Bookbinder and me. And, you know, I had to go pick up mail, deliver a four track to Jeff's apartment, make sure the guest list scenario was set up for this record release show, stuff like that. So that was kind of the, when things got a little more exciting for me in New York, as far as kind of work, working out of right. boring shuffling papers. At you MSNBC. were like, this is maybe networking what I'm doing. I was networking. Yeah, exactly. This, and uh, did you have a lot of um, knowledge of the Buckley fam? Uh, from I, Tim to Jeff? Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I remember getting a Tim Buckley record in high school at the library. I think I got. <laughs> I love library music. Back in the yeah, yeah, back in the days when you could get an LP, this was like they had a little thing. You know, we did that. I remember getting kids uh, LPs because I think that was like when I was. I'm sure up. there were yeah, probably a good section for those. But yeah, Raffi. I remember getting a Tim Buckley one, and it was probably one of the later disco, you know, heroin disco period, and it was not very good. So I remember thinking wow, I really like Jeff Buckley, but his dad's music, everybody talks about, but man, it was like all about bouncing on the bed springs. And, you know, it was like <laughs> that kind of like LA man 74, right. like, yeah. you know, we got the bed springs are creaking and mama's coming home and those kind of songs. And the uh, word mama. The yeah. A lot know, of mamas. Mama, mama, mama. It's a huge problem. I mean, yeah. the band, I, I feel like it's a, it, it's a, it, you know, it's a divide between the band and me, you know, is the amount of times they say mama. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in what's that song, you know, um, get in my sleep, it nag mama, nag. Nag Mama Nag. Or okay. Rag Mama Rag or whatever okay. it's called on uh -huh. um, Moondog Matinee, perhaps. Okay. Another another barrier between me and the band is the name of the album, Moondog Matinee. I see. Yeah, Moondog Matinee. I always see that. I used to see that one and get excited because I thought it was Moondog. Oh, my God. I go, wow, I this really... is a cool Moondog album. And I was like, ah, it's a band record. I remember my mom lived in New York as a young younger person, too, and she told, I talked to her about Moondog one day, just like I had a record and she was like, I used to see that guy when I was on my way to, you know, on my way to work, he would sing on the street. And I was like, holy shit. So, so this was in New York. Yeah. She was, she of? was living there before I was born, you know, in the sixties and, mm -hmm. and fifth, late fifties, sixties. Anyway, she would see old Moondog doing his thing and thought he was pretty weird. Uh, yeah so he, what would he do he'd like be on the corner singing those yeah sort of songs? i think he and his his partner who was a japanese woman would perform or maybe he would perform but he had his bowls and uh shakers and stuff like that and he would just you know he was like this weird blind viking street guy hmm. and uh people would maybe give him five cents or whatever you'd give somebody back in those days so you were you like learning about did you did you learn things that you could not shake uh seeing jeff buckley in action dealing within his management were yeah you... and and i should frame this by saying that the i probably worked there for eight months you know it wasn't the longest time of my life but enough time he was on tour 80 percent of the time in foreign countries or somewhere but you know i got to see him a few times um in New York and and basically I think the big lesson I learned that from that experience was that I wanted to play music and be performing and writing songs rather than kind of shuffling paper you know it was just it was another office job with a different different slant the product you were it was selling closer to what you wanted was closer to do. but the product you were selling you were still selling it was a business it, I was on the business side mm. and I kind of at that point realized, okay, I'm like 22, 23 years old. I have to, uh, I got to write songs. I need to make music. Like um, if I want to be performing or be a musician, like you actually have to do the work, you know? Cause I was probably still playing with a tennis racket and a mirror till I was 18. You know, I had no. Uh, you hadn't learned any uh, instrument? No, I had a guitar under my bed and then just sort of, 
would pull it out once every three years and like play one string, you know, and I had a few bands as a kid cause I could sing. Um, but I didn't know how to play any guitar or drums or anything like that. It was sort of like, I love David Bowie. Yeah. I'm from Michigan. Why, you know, what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like he was this guy from outer space with orange hair who looked amazing. And I was just a guy driving like a Ford. But there were all these Michiganers who David Bowie had like, you know, flown to Berlin and stuff. Like Exactly. Why no, I don't know why I've gotten in there. I don't know why I didn't put one and one and two together or one and well, if I put one and two together, I would have got three. If I'd even have put one and one together, I would have got two. Yeah, and and you would have been ahead of the game. I would have been way. smarter than most people in high school, but I just uh yeah. they don't know math at all. Yeah, who know no math. <laughs> so I don't know. I just uh it took me a while and it was like I I had a, I love music, I collected records, I would you know, do my chores and mow lawns and wash cars and save money from my summer jobs to go buy expensive import records and everything. So I was really into it, I guess. I think I thought like, wow, I'd love to be a musician, but like, I love listening to music more, you know? So I was sort of you in still that, feel that I way. was in that point. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I still do love listening to music, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess at that point, I just felt like um, it was like a fantasy that I would love to do, but it's not attainable. Yeah, I can't imagine how that would have felt in the 70s and 80s because you didn't have um, the sheen of MTV, which both made people seem small, bigger, but also made the the idea of they were so ever present that the idea of being part and, and moving in front of your eyes, that that it felt probably like a more real proposition oh somehow. okay uh-huh does that make sense i understand you know, like, yeah rather than from, staring like, at an inert album heroes cover, cover where yeah. you're like wow. or you're reading circus magazine and you're like god i'll never be uriah here <laughs> yeah right i still right, people. yeah um yeah it's possible seeing movement maybe mtv but you know i i did i didn't have i didn't have cable as a kid, so I remember I'd go to my friend's house and when MTV started, my friend Kenny and he, his mom would hook us up with like string cheese and chips and salsa, but like old school, like old El Paso. Oh, I thought you meant string cheese incident. Yeah, not uh, the early <laughs> demos. Yeah, so it was like yeah. 83. Penguin Cafe Orchestra, string cheese. Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was aware of them. You know, I saw MTV, but... Of course. I saw them all in motion, but you were seeing like Michael Jackson in motion or Prince in motion. It was like, I ain't got, right. I've got no moves. Yeah. Well, but then you emulate Prince because you play now, you play a billion things and play them pretty good. Yeah. So what's, how, how'd it go from I'm learning, you know, I'm going to get better at guitar and write songs in, at 23 or whatever. Basically, you were like, I'm going to kick Jeff Buckley's ass. This is my standard. I'm going to forget his version of Hallelujah. Yeah, let me do a version. (laughs) (laughs) And yours has become the gold standard. Let's hope no one ever does another version of it. It's like that, Life on Mars. There's like five songs that we never need a cover of again. Maybe There She Goes Again by The Laws. There's a few that are just so overdone, but for God's sake, it's like, I mean, when you turn on American Idol or the mask singer and somebody's singing hallelujah, I mean, <laughs> Has that happened? yes, I think it was American Idol. Someone's like, you know, when David played and it pleased the <laughs> Lord. And you're just like, wow. God, I really don't need to hear that song again. People hate Leonard Cohen and it's, I love Leonard I Cohen. Think- Oh, I, you know, I, we, both, yeah. we both appreciate him very much. Maybe, but he might, he could have won Artist of the Year one year and displaced Allison. I'll have to look at, yeah, the, I'll maybe, have to look back the, at the stats. There was a year I was talking to this musician, Jennifer Castle. Uh, she had a year where she was nominated for this Polaris Prize in Canada. And one of her competitors, she's her album's so amazing, Pink City. And uh, she was up against a bunch of weird, different people, like varied when I say weird. Um, and one of them was Buffy Simmery, who won. Oh, good. Uh-huh. And it's kind of like, well, can't get mad. 
Yeah. (laughs) Buffy Buffy put in the she put in the time. She's been put in the time. She's been spinning and spinning. Yeah, part of and actually I guess I hadn't realized this, but Jennifer's voice is like influenced by Buffy Samuel. So it's all the more reason why you can't get mad. Yeah. But um so 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 what happens after you decide to write these songs? So around the time, near the end of my time in New York, I borrowed a four-track recorder and I tried to learn how to do that. And, I, and that was sort of the first time I'd really fiddled around with the four-track recorder, other than a few times goofing off of, you know, some friends in high school and making up like bad metal music or uh-huh. Spinal Tap influence sort of ironic things. Um, so I, I got a borrowed a four track and made a few songs and that was sort of when I caught the bug so when I moved out here really the last gasp of that visa that visa card I remember was like a four track and a little sm57 microphone and a cable and so that was like you know I had one guitar and a shitty little amplifier and those two things and a good mic a standard mic a good 57 standard yeah yeah and the card, I think, was maxed out after that and taken away by the corporation. And so I just started to work on music in my in my apartment. And a friend that I moved here with had brought a drum set. So the drum set lived. I had the biggest room, so the drum set lived in my room. And so I just started to learn to play that. And I think our initial intention was to kind of start music together. But I found that I was sort of more focused on it all you know right. all day so it was like if he was at work or he was out going to golden gate park or something i would play the drums and start making up music so i really just caught the bug there and started to record all the time you know that was like his drum set sort of became like i'm using it right now dude you know so it was like it became <laughs> my drum set and right and you were like i can't pay you the visa's gone visa's gone yeah so yeah so i just that's kind of where I learned, but I was still, you know, at 23 or four, you know, Arthur Lee, Brian Wilson, all these people that echo and the bunny men, all David Bowie, all the people I looked up to had already made three masterpieces by then. And I was sitting there playing like bad heart of gold meets toad, the wet sprocket you right. know, music. Like, so I was like, I like Jeff Buckley was a hardworking <laughs> yeah. man. You're doing like tonight's the night. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> So I was really reluctant to start a band, to look around and take, you know, figure, get people that I'd met into the band. Cause I wanted to get better before I started sharing anything. Cause you know, mm-hmm. it was like a, a single child, whatever inferiority complex, who knows what, but I just wanted, I wanted to write all the shitty ones before I kind of got out into, and was like, here's what I do. Whereas some people start shitty and grow in public. I wanted to grow in private. So you're, you're going around the clock, writing, 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 waiting to start a band. At, some, at what point do you say, this shit, this shit is heat. I got heaters. I got darts. I, I, probably not my first record. So probably the second record. The first record I made was all four track. And I really was learning how to play drums, bass, everything. And I was really into Robert Pollard, Guided by Voices. It was like, this was right. 1996, 7, 8. Nine. Oh, I can totally see that So now my first record, the first record I made was called The Past Was Faster. And that was like uh, a friend of mine had a record label and he offered to put it out. And I was like, cool, you know, and, and uh, so there were a lot of, you know, songs with a bit of an accent, you know, like. Right. Uh, you still kind of, you still kind of and, will have a little yeah, fun I still, and put out songs But I was like quite, that. I was quite British then. Very sick. Yeah. Very, it was like, I want, it was like yeah. GBV, Sid Barrett. Those were the two. So yeah. everything was either quite singy, songy, you know, like that, mm-hmm. like Sid or, or kind of, you know, stern songs about science like bob pollard yeah <laughs> just man i am a scientist yeah man music and uh loved it so that record did have some good songs but it really was trying to figure out who i am in on song form so there was like a nick drake sound alike and a beef heart song and and 
my records have always had a mix of different styles that kind of fall together almost like a a mixtape you know of different cool songs but that one was quite it was beyond pastiche and pretty much just like i wasn't replaying stuff but i was i'm good at using something from an artist or a song i like now but you wouldn't know it but then you're like okay this is beefart this you love beach right you love nick drake you love tom petty you, you know so it was so that was the trouble with that first record but there were good ideas and just generally the way i work was sort of formed but it was pretty much um you know it wasn't well done certainly wasn't well received and that's kind of when i that's when i got my first pitchfork review and and was something wait in 97 that would have been 99 and and, wow i didn't realize and i I did i recently was was i was recently about two years ago put out a record in spain and these guys wanted to put like good little tidbits new york times dazzling songs you know mojo (laughs) our favorite troubadour and i was like you gotta put this pitchfork one on because it it ended by saying as likable as a syphilitic canker and um (laughs) this this record is is the sound of one one man playing with himself or something like that you know and well you know then nowadays a lot of people would love that sound yeah, playing with them. I mean, so this is the age, you know, hop on the webcam, get on a webcam, play your first yeah. album. <laughs> so I remember that review and I remember going, wow, this sucks. Like, I just tried to make this pile of songs on my little four track and my buddy would put it out. And of course, fame and fortune will ensue. And it was right. like, or at least only compliments. Yeah, you just like, why would anyone just take the time just to tell to me destroy, what I'm doing? Destroy yeah. you. So that was like, whoa. So in a in a in a strange way, it was probably made me both terrified and more determined to do better. So like, the next record I made, Antique Glow, was 2001, and I feel like that was the first time it was like, I could play this for anybody, and it's like, this is good, you know. And, and were you playing this stuff? Were you making all this stuff with any collaborators? Or was no, this all pretty not much... really. Just in my house, just in my room. And, and that's you just know, my you roommate might pop in and play like, hey, play. you want to play something just so they feel yeah. like part of it. But this is why Allison is on some of your later work, right? Just to keep, because yeah. she's in the room yeah. and you go, she's in the house and you say, can I get this incredibly talented musician to just like hop in and do some backing vocals? Yeah, exactly. You know? So she would do this whoever's around and it's easy, but I find that the home recording thing is conducive because to the way I write, which is, you know, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, um, a lot of musicians, they, they would sit with a guitar and work on the line and cross things out and, and then go uh-huh. work on it. But for me, I just go in my studio, do, 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 turn on a drum machine, you know, try to mm-hmm. and make a song, and that's it. That's how I write. So for me, it's easier to just get on with it myself and not have to say, wait for someone who's like, yeah, uh, my car, you know, double parked, and I can't, you know, I'm stuck. I won't, I'll be an hour late for practice, or I can't right. make it today. Or let's go in a studio that none of us have money to afford to pay for. So, so the one man thing right. started with just being impatient, not wanting to wait, having an idea and writing in a way that is not predetermined. It's just that day. And, and what about the only child aspect? Does that, do you think that that's definitely hiding away in my it? room, listening to records? It's a person, it was a personal, uh, it was a personal thing then as a kid. Mm-hmm. It was me in my room with my records and my parents saying like, Hey, keep it down. You know? So it was like, I had to kind of go in my little cave. So I think that this is an outgrowth of that as an adult. It's just, that's what music was to me was like a little special time alone. I feel like you've gotten hotter as we're talking, like as you talk and, and embrace your rock power, like I see like kind of like a, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. My cheeks are getting coming in. (laughs) Your cheeks are coming in, and uh, yeah. So, so that's kind of amazing to sustain it. Is it one of those things where you know part of the reason you sustained it is just because you've never 
stopped. I think that's the definition of sustaining. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, do you, is, do you have, uh, like if you had a day where you were away from your home studio slash your home, would you be kind of like a little nervous? It does work or? its way into your life, you know, and girlfriends or friends want, let's go do this or let's go do that. And you're kind of like, but what if I have this idea? So it does fill you with a, a background psychic uh, sense of anxiety that you might have a great idea or, man, I really wanted to put the synthesizer on that song that I left yesterday, but now right. I got to go to Dave's birthday party. This sucks, right. you know, and like, I can't wait to get out of here and go home and work on that. Yeah. So I got to cut the ribbon at this park opening. Yeah. Like, it's like, I give me the key to the a... city and I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it does infringe on, on acting, you know, on normal life because it's what you love to do the most and it's a safe place. So it mm -hmm. can create social anxiety for you because you're not in your little room by yourself where you're in charge of all facets of your day yeah 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 so it's rare it's it has caused problems you know because it's part of it but you know i go through cycles and i'm sure you know how it is where you're really creative and then there's a period where you're kind of not creative and you're going it's never coming back i'll never make a song yeah. again what happened i wouldn't know where to begin and then you you go into the room and you just sort of play a video game or I try, but, but I listen. But what you listen back to is so average and boring, and you're like, mm. "I'm never gonna get there again." And if you listen to the stuff you've made, you go, "How did I do that?" And I think it's you're working with intention rather than working with like a spiritual whatever that is, you know, yeah. guidance. So, like the best songs I ever made were always like, "I don't remember making that part," you know, "I don't." When was that? Yeah. When was that thought to like put that cool synthesizer part on something? Or when did I do that? And if I'm out of phase with with my creativity, I'm thinking about every move. Like, oh, I guess I'll try this. Or would you know a harpsichord would be nice? But when you're actively making stuff that's cool, there's no thing. You just kind of are like, Burr. you're just moving. You're just guided somehow. I was just listening to your uh, at set, uh, at set, uh, at the yeah. new one, yeah, the newest one. And I was so into, um, I think it was, where is it? Never, is it, yeah, never change enough. I was like, to me, is that the one that has a lot of uh, sort of uh, vocal, um, gymnastics in a sense like it's you're singing very quickly vocal and fry no words. vocal fry i didn't hear any vocal fry was it that one um uh could be some gymnastics i think i talk saying that one i mean if there was like a bob dylan-y song on the album it's definitely like it's not like yeah and then i've tried it's more you know you're running through an airport you wonder what you're there for destination mm -hmm. any other place you know, I right, was trying right, to do yeah. one of those things. So, yeah, that song definitely is has like a more of a spokeny thing. I tried to sing it, but the BPM was too fast to sing all those words. So that's definitely a yeah, uh, yeah. But I loved it. It's all catchy and it's all just like different vibes. But I was talking to you about the um, what's your shirt say back there, Nick? Spice. Spice. Oh no, space. Oh. It's a NASA shirt. <laughs> okay, space. I love it. Yeah. And uh Hard Feelings. Yeah. Um is another record I really like. Yeah. And is Hard Feelings like is that meant to be a sillier album or are you trying to like I just feel like you're you're scratching so many itches sometimes. Like you put out how many albums a year? Well, you know, the last few here? have been two or one, two or three for the last couple of years. This year was three and you know there were many years early on where it was one every three years so i think i learned at some point i i, I had a friend of my a friend of mine um told me to just put it another musician he just said put stuff out more often because you're like you're writing good stuff and like uh you shouldn't let it die in your tape machine or your hard drive and like just trust that it's good and move on 
and let the people be the judge if they like it or not, but keep putting stuff out, you know? And that's great advice, especially given like the environment that we wound up kind of living yeah. in as create, you know, like musicians, especially apparently the expectation of new stuff is. Well, like Codify guy, yeah. what does he say? You can't expect to make a living releasing one album a year anymore. And a uh, horrible thing yeah, to say. Like, Thanks, dude. Because he's like, I need more content. He wants yeah. more content, you know? So, yeah. Um, but in a sense, with the amount of people on earth and the amount of music that's forced at them and the availability of music and the sort of backgroundness of music in everyone's life, in every movie, TV show, store, mall, uh, you have to, you kind of do need to make more stuff just to keep your fans aware that you exist in a way you have to sort of remind them every eight months about something. And especially for me, I don't tour much. I don't go around the States for six months of the year or go to Canada or go, you know, as much as people do. So for me, having something available in a store that they could buy or listen to wherever they go for it is more important than, you know, it's important. You don't like uh, touring that much? I'm not a good flyer, Nick. I get scared. Mm -hmm. I get scared. It's scary. And uh, I don't like being up in the air and being trapped in a plane. So I kind of got out of that for, uh, and, and the other thing I don't like is being in a van for eight hours of a day. It's just awful. And it's like, even at 25 or six, when I first started driving from here to San Diego, just for a gig in California when it first starts and you take those little tentative one hour trips to some, of town, course, yeah. you know, just like, okay, wow, cool. We got a show in Sacramento. I, you know, and <laughs> like even just the two hours and then driving home at three in the morning, it was like, I hate, I fucking hate this. And yeah. And uh, I don't want to be trapped in a car. It feels like a waste of time, a massive yeah. waste of time. What about the window rolled down, one member smoking and the wind's coming in? Yeah, getting those, getting shot with like hot ashes behind them and having, right, yeah, and, having like a, and having like a cold and like, you know, it's dark and there's garbage under your feet. It's horrible. It's awful. So I, I in, in connection with that and with a stroke of good good fortune in like 2005 or 6 when i had a few songs from a sub pop record used in commercials so for like 3 or 4 years i was making a really good living you know so it kind of all coalesced at the same time i don't want to be in a car i don't want to fly and i've got money coming in so i don't need to go like play in memphis to try to put $200 into my bank account you know so it all kind of came together that way. So I didn't uh, financially have to do it. Like a lot of people, like that's how they made a living is touring, you know? So right. for, for that's kind of was my situation, my un the unique situation for me. Some people would have, some people would have, some people would have been like, I made money. Cool. Now I can buy a van and go tour nonstop <laughs> and I don't have to worry about a job. And for me, it was like, great. Now I don't have to like sit in a van all day and like earn my money. I love performing. I love being on stage. I'm good at it. And I mean, I was just going to say, I, I I've seen you around San Francisco, sure. you know, you are playing in the Bay and, and you clearly love it, you yeah. know, and it's really fun The Barney's. And then I've sure. seen you perform at, um, right right spot yeah. you know just those those really nice uh intimate shows at right spot sure. you know and and um i might have even introduced you at a couple of those he did and uh saw me lose my cool at the makeout room one day well you know we've all lost our cool there's a weird spot in the makeout room which is a local club that is like a bermuda triangle of bad vibes for me i think i think four times i've lost my mind in that area yeah with people with myself or with situation do you get um how do you handle feeling overwhelmed i usually yell get really weird throw something <laughs> kick a door how long turn into last? like my stepdad when i was like 11 
Right. Yeah. It's horrible. That's... It still happens. So. Yeah. Well, we're all just trying to control, you know, manage the fucking shit. Yeah. And uh, some people really control. They're better well, at it. You think they do. And then you find out about. Right. The crimes. The crimes. You of... know. You start to notice their teeth are getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're grinding all night. Hey, you know? You're like, oh, I didn't know you slept with a mouth guard. <laughs> yeah, right? Isn't that the best feeling? You go to some controlled person's house and you open their medicine hey, cabinet. Hey, man, whatever. Like, Just grab whatever. You... Yeah, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you want some Coke? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Oh, I get it. Uh, uh-huh. That's why you're on the up and up. Yeah. Or yeah. If you end up with some random girl with a mouth guard, watch, you know, the first (laughs) date, you're like, uh oh, might want to kill me. I had to wear a mouth guard for about six months, like three years ago. I was going through a stressful time when my dad passed away and I was sort of left. I was in playing an echo in the bunny men and I left that, which was like my teen dream was over. And so I started grinding, man. I remember going yeah, to my dentist. Was... I was like, my jaw is killing me. I'm waking up in the morning. Like, and he's like, you need to get this thing. So I wore this thing for like two, three months. It's just awful sleeping with one of those in. It's hard. But, uh, I used to have a bionator when I was growing yeah, I was. I think I wasn't grinding. I was biting. I was clenched. Mm, yeah. I had, that's a I had CJ, feeling. CJS, clenched jaw syndrome. Right, yeah, they say that that's uh, you know, Doctor Sarno's got the answer for you. For you, Doctor you know? Sarno's. Yeah, we gotta we gotta just like uh, embrace, uh, find out what is bothering us, right? And then the pain reduces. But I think sometimes that's correct. Yeah, once I don't think that's all the time, but I think stress, if stress is making you feel bad, you know, figuring out that stress. You know, might take away the physical. Oh, it's got to. I mean, it's all. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's poisoning your highways of your, you know, in your system for sure. Well, you seem really well right now. I'm so happy to see you, though. I'm just like, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Other than just a compulsion to eat from about 930 at night to one in the morning, I am doing pretty good. I have so much of that going on, especially in this uh, environment where I'm just like in an enclosed place, like, uh, you know, and I have a finite amount of food. Oh, the food to buy is across the, the lake. Oh, my you know? gosh. Yeah. So I'm just like, so those oh days God. when you stock up and come back with a couple bags, that's like you're right on yeah. right onto the couch watching like the Fisher King. Eating, eating <laughs> one of my you know i love the fisher i just watched so half of it last night and i fell asleep i'm gonna watch the rest tom- tonight i think yeah i mean i don't know i gave it a, I, I gave it a try so many times in my life and it didn't really work out for me and then i was in la visiting years ago now and um watched it and i was just like wow this is brilliant this is like robin williams best performance mm. for sure yeah. You know, yeah. And, um, yeah, just we're all the Fisher King. Well, don't no spoilers. Still, <laughs> that was still got forty. That's the ending. The ending oh, is that uh, we're all the Fisher King. <laughs> I still got forty-eight minutes to go, so don't tell me. So you have uh, a live show. You have a release show. Yep. For Ah, uh, etc., which is a very GBV style title, very Guided by Voices esque title. Cool. Well, I'm circling yeah. back to circling back to my youth, maybe. Maybe. I mean, the music on it is very similar. To, I mean, it's not. It's just sort of my sweet spot of '60s, '70s, '80s kind of rehash. Lots of different. Um, so, which is what I was influences. doing back in the days when I started. So it's definitely more, you know. Uh, listenable for early fans than some of the middle period where I was a little trying different things, but yeah, we're going to play it. There's a park, a, a parking lot here at, next to the chapel. The chapel is kind of my favorite place to play in town for the last few, Great venue. few years. Such a cool venue. Yeah. And so they've got a, you know, a parking, a 50 yard by 50 yard parking lot out back. And so we will, they have a stage set up and they've been playing, having instrumental bands play there um, uh, for the last, you know, 
for the last coat for the last pandemic during this pandemic. And uh, did Allison play that, that uh, parking lot? She did. With, um, she played with her, with her red room orchestra, which did twin peaks and David Lynch movies. And so, yes, uh, the city does not allow singers or saxophones or, you know, any poison right. droplet blasting things. Dr- yeah. So um, bongos are fine. Bongos are in. Um, Djibouti bagpipes cool. are out. No bagpipes. Um, Djiboutis are in. No fifes. No fifes. Um, no pan flutes. No pan. No zamphir. No zamphir. No. No um, spirogyra. No. No throat singing. No Elvis. No Beatles. No Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> so we have tried. I tried two two ways around. One is a friend and I bought a phone booth. And uh, we had the idea, we found a, a used phone booth on Craigslist and we've kind of duck wrapped a clear shower curtain and over the one opening, this is a, a later, a 90s phone booth that was basically a wind blocker. It wasn't the cool one with the sliding door. So it's, oh, okay. it's three glass sides and one open side. And so we covered, uh-huh. we covered that with uh, a, sh- a clear shower curtain hung it Christmas lights inside and it looks great. And we've used that once or twice for sort of guerrilla street performances. Um, In the pandemic? Yes. Uh, That's so crazy. So it seems to be a very good droplet catcher. And it, I would say goes beyond what you get at a, at a bank or a, uh, you know, a supermarket um, yeah. as far as protection. <laughs> it's a three layers of protect, four layers of protection. So We've used that. That was not approved by the city for this gig that I'm doing and the chapel relying on live performance for their livelihood are less likely to take a chance with something like non-scientifically proven phone booth. So they did agree to allow me to sing on the third floor. There's a room that has a window that overlooks the parking lot. So I'm going to be up there like, uh, Avita Perone, you know, like don't right. cry for me, San Francisco. Yeah, droplets. Yeah. I don't want those cr- tear droplets. No, dr- yeah, tear droplets will be cascading out the window onto the crowd <laughs> below. Uh, so I'll be in in this room with a monitor and a vocal microphone, and there'll be a camera that's going to film me and I think project me Wizard of Oz style on the wall and in front of the people who are sitting distanced in this parking lot will be the band on stage in their masks six feet apart playing the music so i you know i'm hopeful that the reverberation and everything works in a way that i can sing along to the band it could be just a complete nightmare but um, this is wild we're gonna try it anyway yeah i mean it's amazing that and you know the truth is i think that I'm a lot more comfortable with these bizarre. Oh, there's a jar of mustard in the background. <laughs> Where's that? Where is it? Webcam. It's uh, Coslick's horseradish mustard. Oh, I see it there. Yeah. Okay. There's two jar, two mustards, <laughs> Andy. Wow. Okay. Are you? Uh, uh, what's your mustard preference? Yellow. Spice? Well, I, 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 I think my favorites. Uh, I love a spicy mustard. There is a spicy deli mustard made by Koslix, and Koslix is is that the Mark Koslix? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, he's canceled. Mark, Can't talk Mark about Koslix spicy mustard. <laughs> That's what got him in trouble was the spicy mustard. Uh, yeah, something. Uh huh. Okay. So somebody but, uh, in his family has made a mustard. It's Koslix. It's not anything to do with American Music Club. Great. Okay. It's it. It's uh, not American. Maybe it's music Canadian Club. one. You go That's to Mark the Eitzel, well, different Mark. Okay, sorry. Don't don't get him in trouble. Damn it! It has nothing to do with what was the other guy's a Red House painter. Right. Doesn't have anything to do with Red House painters. Right. Is that a reference? Is that a pre-reference to the Irishman? Oh wow! Like a Red House painter? Is that what? Is that he's a, uncanceled? Is that mafia talk? <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah. Okay. I love the Irishman. I paint houses. Yeah, I started that one the other night, but then I. Then I decided to move on to the Fisher King. It's really long. I, that's what I, it was. It was like 1030 and I was like, I don't have time. So I watched 20, 20, 30 minutes. You know, I grew up in Birmingham, Michigan, which is a very upscale white collar part of Detroit. Uh, 
Hey, welcome to Birmingham, Michigan. Oh yeah. So Birmingham, Birmingham is a beautiful town with really nice people. And, uh, but definitely if you remember the movie Roger and me, of course. So the, the, the Rogers lived in Birmingham. That's where the, right. the Roger of sure. that kind of situation. So great place to grow up. But as you grow older, you know, you understand that it's not without its faults, but, uh, yeah, so Birmingham, just up the road, about a mile and a half, and to the left on Losher or Telegraph, I forget which, is Marcus Red Sly Fox, which is where Jimmy Hoffa was last seen. Oh, that's where so that it restaurant all was. is just up the road. It was one of those things that you'd see all the time as a kid, and it was like I don't really know much mm-hmm. about Jimmy Hoffa, but I met his nephew at like summer camp in third grade, and then. Like, hey, good to meet you. My name's David Hoffa. And then David Hoffa. One of the Hoffa kids, I met him, and there was this restaurant up the road that was, you know, where he Very was killed. Well, hey. So it was always kind of a weird uh I remember that it was weird. And they yeah, show is... in the Irishman, I think it's the drive to Detroit. That's what that whole thing is, isn't it? Well, yeah, they mix up a lot of uh there's a lot of time mixing and I mean, we saw it in the theater, believe it or not. Wow. And so we and we were loving it. We were gripped. Were there any break? You know? Any breaks? No breaks. Wow. We didn't even go to the bathroom. What's the longest movie you've gone to see? Probably The Irishman. Right. Okay. You know, I haven't done any of those. You know, I remember seeing like one six-hour movie. Yeah, I remember or... seeing one called the Saragossa Manuscript. That was an yeah. old '60s psychedelic, you know, movie of. And, and it just, it was like through all history and it, and it always was like, let me tell you a story. And then it would like pivot again. <laughs> and I think, right. I don't know if it was a Coppola produced or uh-huh. something, but man, that was, I think that was like five hours. Maybe Jerry Garcia did the music, but it was a good, wow. good five or six hour movie. Yeah. There's some of these foreign movies uh, that are like that. And then um, kind of like our interview. <laughs> Our interview We're going like to break that, now yeah. for the next three-hour session of Nick <laughs> and Kelly. No, Kelly, we are we're we're at the tail end, bro. I like to do a solid ninety minutes. I love like it. A okay, good, like a good thriller. Yeah, killer. And we edit it down. So, in the movie of our podcast, where are we? Am I looking out a balcony and I see you like down waving? Yeah, okay. and I go see you. And then, and then, but something's got to happen. When do I fall through glass? And then you turn around and I get pushed. And then you see that the, uh, the check is gone. Okay. <laughs> Check's gone. And then I wave and I go. <laughs> I did. And then the credits roll. Okay. We're, we're the- almost there. Yeah, no, we are almost. So there's there. no more um, action and going to happen in this. So people could sign off now if they want it. You can sign off now. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Perhaps your two albums, Hard Feelings and Ah, uh, etc. Uh, perhaps live from the Whammy Bar, Ooh, which is an Strat, album I live at the to Whammy today. Bar. I've got hundreds. Very good stuff. Yeah, that was sort of like I tried to make a live album in my studio, so I I filtered in a lot of arena screaming fans from like live at Budokan, cheap trick yeah very and enjoyable so it's like i play my music and then it's because ah, i thought it would be sort of funny it's kind of zappa like it's kind of goofy funk it's i've got hundreds of them under my bed it's remains my poorest selling uh uh record so yeah let's prom- i could promote that my falcon falkland album that i made with my friend garth uh that was another kind of uh songwriter you know, taking on fake personalities and writing songs as them. Um, I love it. So we did like that. Like Chris Gaines. Exactly. Like my man, Chris Gaines and Roddy Roddy Piper, you know, taking on a different <laughs> name. Um, I love Rowdy Roddy. Yeah. Did he pass this year? He passed away last year or the year before. Oh, they're all going. All the legends are leaving. Seriously, man. Toots. I'll never get over toots. Who's going to be left? Fucking Conor McGregor. That's it. 
Conor McGregor, the UFC fighter. We got to live with him and Donald Trump for the rest of our lives. But I don't think we're going to I think we're going to outlive Trump. That's like one of I really hope we all outlive uh, Trump. Are you feeling better? Is your heart? There was a national day, at least not a national day, because there was a lot of people who are unhappy. But at least in San Francisco, there was like a the shoulders went down. And I went out for a walk and it was like, no, after you. And everyone was like, eh, eh, you know, like, <laughs> as the, you know, honking Prius to Prius and, eh, eh, you know, so yeah, uh, the left, the left wing felt really good. Um, and uh, so, yes, there was a national day of, of size. And then the day after they're like, well, then the time to roll. Biden. Time to, Biden. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're just Biden our time. Then it was like, yeah. let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Like GW once yeah. said. Yeah. What a horrible, what a horrible situation where it's like, okay, cool. So, Biden, <laughs> you know, it's like the guy who like literally ran for in primaries, never won for years and years uh-huh. and years, and it was finally. And look, I find him likable. I'm, I, I'd like to just come out and say that, and and somewhat entertaining. You know, like I think he's funny. I love the malapropisms and the mistakes. I love when he said, listen fat to that guy. I loved it when he says Jack all the time, you know, Jack, I even, yeah. I, I even liked when he goes, you're the, well, geez, you're the worst president in the history yeah. of the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> and didn't he, uh, didn't he have that weird story about his time as a pool attendant or something or. I'm sure. Yeah. Working, I mean, he's got working with, you know, there was a black guy, you know, it's always like, yes, there was a black not, guy who worked with, oh, me don't, and, who worked with me in Delaware at the pool. And we called him like shoeless Joe or, yeah, or, or he or does like, that kind of shit all the time. Pick Jimmy, you know, he had all these like yeah. Saturday night live sketch things. But it, I mean, that's slightly, less, you know, kind yeah. of alarming, but. Yes, exactly. That's the stuff where I'm kind of like, uh oh, like when he was like, if you don't, if black people don't for me, don't vote for right. me, they're, they, they ain't black. Right. And it's like, you know, good thing. I appreciate you trying to get in the spirit of the Breakfast Club. And this is like, the Breakfast Club has been where like Democrats have gone to fuck up for like a few years. Because oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hillary went on there and did her thing where she showed her hot sauce that she brings with her. Oh, all the time. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it was right when like um, that Beyonce song came out where she's like, I got hot sauce in my bag. Oh. And then just coincidentally, turns out Hillary brings hot sauce. In yeah, her bag thanks. Everywhere thanks, she goes. like PR advisor for that one. Yeah. Or even if she really does it, like someone should go, you know, I think people are going to think that you're just pandering right now and trying to be cool. Right. Don't do it. But yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, not like I'm trying to besmirch. It's good that Trump is. Hey, we're glad Joe's Uh, in and, and Kamala too. And, uh, you know, things can only get better. Like Howard Jones once said. Things can only, ooh, Kelly, things will only get, get easier. Whoa, hey, Biden, Kelly. hey, Joe. Biden is going to call you Jack. <laughs> hey, Jack, you want to sing at my inauguration? <laughs> uh, can you stop talking about my son? <laughs> I don't even know what that right. was. That was true. That was that was what did Trump in, I think, the the hunter focus. What a like, mess. He screwed up in all directions. And people are still um, I mean, the store, the book is not quite closed yet. You know, things are still weird. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what's on that server. <laughs> well, no, I think the hunter book is closed. Oh, the hunter book. I just, yeah, I just think that the Trump uh, the Trump trying to do whatever he's trying to do right now book is is not closed. it's slowly closing it is i'm i i think that that seems to be clearer and clearer like i went on breitbart today and fox news to see what the headlines were and like there was very little about the recounting yeah and about bad ballots and when that's not on breitbart that tells me that you know it ain't happening yeah it ain't, it ain't happening. happening yeah right kelly nick you're the best. I feel like I want to talk to you for five minutes off mic. Okay. So I'll just say thank you so much for coming. Where can people check out your music? 
uh, they can learn about where it is on kellystoltz.com, K-E-L-L-E-Y-S-T-O-L-T-Z.com, or I have a Facebook. Great, buddy. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Have a nice afternoon and don't eat too much mustard. I shan't. And that was my talk with Kelly Stoltz. Thanks for listening. He is so talented and cool and unique, and I love the guy. And be sure you pick up uh, etc. at kellystoltzagitated.bandcamp.com or request it on your local radio station. I know you're all listening to radio stations that you can call into and request songs. Or if you go to a DJ night after the pandemic, you go and you request a song. It's going to be really nice. So yeah, head over to Kelly Stoltz and his band camp. Go to uh, mine as well. No pressure. And if you do want to support Nick Flanagan Weekly, uh, just go to ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan Weekly and it's all there. Uh, you can also write me at w-e-a-k-l-y podcast at gmail.com. You're great. I'll see you soon. Flanagan.